Well, hello, Trailblazers fans, all of you who are left after the 2023 NBA trade deadline, that is. I'm Dave Deckard, here together with Marlo Ferguson on Dave and Marlo, the show that you know is going to make sense of Portland's trade deadline moves for you. We've already done that a little bit on BlazersEdge.com, but it'll help to hear some soothing voices and explanations, or maybe us getting furious. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, welcome, Marlo. Uh, just big picture overall, how do you feel about this trade deadline? We can get into specific players and whatever soon, but coming out of this, your emotion, your analysis, your whatever is where? I guess the biggest thing is that if, obviously there's a little bit of disappointment. You know, if you weren't the, the, the Suns or the Mavericks team that gets a superstar player and now you're thinking about, you know, championship aspirations. Uh, but the more I read into it, you know, I, I, I can start, it's, it's starting to grow in me a little bit. You know, the Blazers get a little bit younger get some draft picks. Um, and obviously now it's going to make it a little bit easier to get Jeremy Grant back next year, standard luxury tax. So some positives there. Um, I, I got a lot of projects, a lot of guys you got to go out and study now. So other than that, I think if, if you were looking at it with a, a, a positive view of the 2022, 23 season, you might be a little bit disappointed, but if you're looking at it from a long-term view, um, it, it's not great, but it's not, not as terrible as it might look on paper. I think at this point in time, well, I think you hit on it there a little bit. There were a couple teams that were able to make big moves, and then there was everybody else, right? There was the, the Mavericks, obviously, the Suns that you mentioned, also kind of the Lakers. They did some things to make themselves better. But it's not like there was an unlimited buffet of moves and players available. There's not a second Kevin Durant out there. So if you couldn't get him, what were you going to do? Do you go out and pay a ton for OG Ananobi? The Blazers couldn't do that. They didn't have enough draft picks. Do you try to get Ben Simmons, who would have been the third player traded off of the Brooklyn Nets at this point and has his own issues, so you can guard Kevin Durant in the playoffs? Well, I mean, maybe that will work, but probably not. And also, what would you have to pay for him? And also, does he fit? I mean, it's not like there were a ton of moves available. And you know what? Let's, let's start here, even not with the Blazers. I'm not sure that those big moves will turn out to be all that big. And I know Kevin Durant, it looks good right now. I think the Suns will do great. They might win a title this year. I get it. They should do it. But, I mean, come on. The Mavericks got Kyrie Irving. You know Kyrie Irving, right? You've heard of this guy, right? I mean, he's a phenomenal player. But what's that going to look like in two or three years? The Suns got Kevin Durant, even more phenomenal player. But they gave away everything, everything. You, you Talk to me about this in 2026 or 2027. Right. And yes, it's a move they should have made that's great now, but it's not like it's not going to have its cost. They mortgaged a lot to get this shot. Do you want your team mortgaging nearly that much to get a shot that is at best second best and maybe third or fourth or fifth best? Yeah, I think they definitely put all of their chips you know, right in the middle of the table. So if it didn't work out, you know, they got to pay the luxury tax and they've got to deal with, you know, if they don't win the championship. So I think for the Blazers, just in their perspective, um, for, for us fans, I think it's kind of interesting because they said before then that they were going to be very aggressive, very active in the trade deadline. So, you know, if you were to say that at the end of this, you're going to end up with Matisse Thibel and, and Cam Reddish and whatnot, I'm not sure that moves the needle, uh, but I don't think that it takes the Blazers out of where we kind of expected them to be beforehand. You know, they were, a, a you know, average average team that, you know, if the chips fall right, maybe they would get, you know, an, an advantageous play, playoff matchup. And I still feel that same way. Now they just get a little younger and they just they're just banking on potential as opposed to, you know, proven production. So kind of just got to wait and see how it goes now. 
Do you think the Blazers would have traded for Kevin Durant if they could have? I think so. I think if Damian Lillard had any sort of any sort of say in that, um, you, you're seeing it with the new regimes. Like they're being very aggressive. Like the Suns, they've got a new a new ownership. Uh, this would be the the after in the previous regime. They went into the luxury tax three times in 17 seasons, and in one year they've already done it here. So, you know, Joe Cronin has proven he'll be aggressive. Uh, I, I think if if they had a chance to, you know, that there's not a lot of Kevin Durant's out there, and with Lillard's timeline, I think you definitely take a shot at that. But that's just my 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 viewpoint on it. I think they definitely would have. So they would have had to nullify their pick, uh, their protections on their pick for Chicago this year, give a, give it away. Uh, also, they would have been what what Phoenix do four first round picks. So you're yeah, staggering pick swaps <laughs> and giving away picks for, uh, you know, the next four years. So that's the next five years minimum that the draft is impacted. Okay. Maybe you could do that, but then you also have to have the players and salaries to make that work. And the Blazers didn't have, I mean, Josh Hart is Josh Hart, but he's not Cam Johnson. And, you know, okay, they're just, the math wasn't there. The Nets were going to take that Phoenix offer. That doesn't mean that Portland didn't want to do that. They just couldn't. So again, my question is, and it's not to you, it's to the people out there who are super disappointed. Do you then load up all that ammo, put yourself in hawk for the rest of eternity in order to get not Kevin Durant? My answer to that would have been no as well. Absolutely agree. If you're going to make a move that big, you know, you'd better be getting a top 10, you know, top 15 player to pair with Damian Lillard. And I just don't think that it was worth it to do it for, for OG and Anubi. I don't think they would have been worth it for Pascal Siakam at that point. So. You know, I, I, sometimes it, it, it takes a little bit of time for these things to kind of materialize. But, you know, the, the Blazers didn't shoot themselves in the foot. They didn't make a, a, a rash decision. So you can live with that um, and, and just continue to build upon that for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think I would have done three draft picks for Siakam were it possible. But again, you got to know that Chicago pick was complicating things. And that's, you know, that's now really four draft picks you, you lose. And when you're losing your first round draft picks, for four years, even if it's like four out of five, you're seriously impacting an entire new generation of your team. Okay. Now the Lakers do this routinely, but the Lakers get to reload from the ocean, right? They just dip their bucket in and grab free agents and starts, right? Portland's not going to be able to do that. If you take out an entire generation of your franchise, that's going to have an impact, not just for those four years you're not drafting, but for the next five beyond. So you're talking a decade. Now, would I put a decade at risk to get a guaranteed title? Yes, I would. It better be Pascal Siakam. It better be Kevin Durant, right? Uh, and, you know, that, that just wasn't available, like we said. So, all right. Are you, we're obviously not surprised that the Blazers lost Josh Hart. Are you surprised that they lost GP2? Um... Honestly, I, I'm, I'm surprised that it went the way it did. You know, just, you know, came into the expectation that he played a lot more for the Blazers. You, you thought that there would be more of a contribution there, but I'm not surprised that he ended up back where he went. You know, he got paid and, and you know, the movie just made sense for the for the Blazers to do and for the Warriors to do, I think, too, because now they've got James Wiseman gone and they've got some money cleared up there, too. So um, I don't I don't think it surprises me, but I think I'm, I'm sort of disappointed in how we, we kind of talked up, you know, what, what it was going to be the defensive intensity he was going to bring to the team and to only have that for a couple of games. I think that's the, the biggest, biggest shock at this point in time. Yeah. I mean, we liked him, right? I, I liked 
Gary Payton. I like every moment he stepped on the floor. It was different. I mean, it was that true for you too? Yeah, definitely. I think it was on court and off, and off court. Like even before he played, like the commentators were kind of uh, plugging him in to be a, a great, you know, teammate chemistry guy. So I'm thinking that's going to kind of correlate into on court success when, when he's able to get back out there. Um, and it just, it happens so quickly too. Like the time that he did spend in Portland, I think that, you know, when you look at the highlights and whatnot, you'll be able to see some good moments there, but uh, definitely didn't live up to the, the paycheck that we, we sort of, you know, extended <laughs> coming into the off season with that. So that's tough. Well, and therein lies the shift that's important for me. It wasn't necessarily, it certainly wasn't Hart and it wasn't Peyton. It was the obvious framework that was going to happen as, as the framework shift. As soon as you knew you were going to lose Hart and you were going to get young players and you start to go, okay, Look, the small forward spot is shaky. The Blazers are not going to contend this year. They might have another year of growth next year, okay? But we're going with a youth movement. At that point, that Gary Payton contract doesn't make sense anymore, right? It made sense over the summer when you're going, Jeremy Grant's going to be great. Josh Hart's going to be fantastic. We got like mid, mid-age mid veterans here. And Gary Payton can add some of that defense off the bench. And look, we got Justice Winslow going and all this. So now we're legitimately, let's say, eight deep, nine deep. As soon as you say, well, we're four deep now because of trades or injuries or whatever, you go, well, is Gary Payton as your sixth man going to make any difference? At that point, no. Well, if not, then why are we keeping him? Why are we paying him? And so trading him becomes a lot more viable of an option. I'll bring this up. I'm not sure if you've, um, if you've like familiarized yourself with Sadiq Bay from Detroit. But from what I understand, like the Blazers could have actually uh, gotten a chance at getting him if they had taken Atlanta out of there. And in that trade, they were able to get Kevin Knox and, and the five second round picks. Uh, but I look at Sadiq, Sadiq Bay as a player that would have, you know, fit this Blazers team perfectly. I think if you would have been able to flop him out for, or swap him out for, Gary Payton and, and, and whatever the, the other parts of that were, you live with that because he's going to bring that that size, the shooting, the age, and he would have definitely been salary cap friendly. So I think at the end of the day, that's one of the things that I kind of re- like I would regret. Um, and I think we're going to look back on just in terms of what the Blazers could have had at this at this juncture the, at the trade deadline. Yeah, if they could have had Sadiq Bay, that would have been a pretty good oh, get. <laughs> but ah, well, all's well that ends well or not so much. All's rotten that ends rotten. Uh there have been some whisperings about Peyton's fit culturally and teammate-wise. I don't think that we're going to get that full story told. Uh, let's just say that there's a possibility that there was some frustration. I think that came out a little bit right when he was coming back. Remember that whole little fracas we talked about that's like, okay, well, is he coming back? Is he not coming back? Is he ready? Is he not ready? And you get kind of some... Interesting comments from Chauncey Billups, some terse comments maybe from the front office, and you're going like, okay, there's something a little bit bubbling here. I I wonder if they didn't just lose confidence in him a little bit. Yeah, it was definitely a, a weird situation with, you know, the, the return being pushed back and them clearing him to play and, and whatnot. So definitely some things I think that we'll, we'll learn about, you know, later. But, you know, I, I think at this point, you know, it's just time to just move on from it. You know, it, it didn't work out well. The Blazers kind of get a do-over in terms of just the picks they get and kind of getting a chance to reestablish themselves. So, you know, if the Blazers do what they got to do, they'll see them in the postseason. So we'll, we'll, we'll get a chance to kind of see that that rivalry kind of play out a little bit there. So that's yeah, what I'm kind of looking forward to now. I don't look forward to, to <laughs> facing Gary Payton in any kind of game. I bet his first matchup is going to be interesting. Okay. Yeah. So they also lose Greg Brown. 
So I don't know about, uh, you know, obviously he wasn't playing much. He was fun to watch, but didn't make a big impact on the court. Anything to that for you? I mean, obviously, we know that they had to waive somebody in order to make the heart trade work. So Greg Brown was it. No, no surprise there. I believe that they would have rather sent out a couple players and gotten one back and balanced it by trade, but evidently that didn't work. So uh, your thoughts on Greg Brown? I think you're pretty much spot on. Uh, you definitely probably, I think they would have, they could have kept them. They would have tried to do that. Uh, but sometimes it's just a situation where, you know, the, the potential doesn't quite match what you want to see. And he's had a couple of different, different situations where he could have shown that. Um, and, and like you said, just a very exciting player, but uh, sometimes the game didn't seem to come as fast to him. I thought he rushed a little bit. Uh, the two point shot was kind of developing there, but nothing too trustworthy. And he has some CF, he has some spurts just as an athletic player and whatnot, but, I don't think this will be the last we see of him. I think he's going to be able to develop and, and, and you know, match the, match the IQ with the athleticism and whatnot. So we'll see him back. But for the time being, I think that it's just a necessary move to make. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, goes to the G League, goes to Europe. I think he can play somewhere, but he wasn't going to crack this rotation. And that was evident when they needed forwards badly this year and he he didn't play. You know, it's like, okay. I get it that you're still young, but if you're going to make an impact, now would be a great time, and he was nowhere to be seen. So let me give you this overall bird's-eye view, and you give me the initial impression. Uh, the Blazers lose Josh Hart, Gary Payton the second, and Greg Brown the third. The Blazers get Matisse Thibel, Cam Riddish, Kevin Knox, and Ryan Archidiakono. <laughs> Say that five times, man. So, um, overall, how does that balance lie for you in the big picture? Um, I think I'm excited about the the return for Josh Hart. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, the, the first round pick and seeing how that converts and whatnot. Um, but the big problem I, I have with it still is just how does it? How do you account for the rebounding now? You know, I think it's been it's been long said that Josh Hart is one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA, and now you you bring in guys that you know what I'm saying they they have great traits and great skills but rebounding was already a big problem with Hart so now you're taking out one of the best rebounding guards and they literally gave you 10 of them in the, in the, in the Warriors game he, he can't do that every night so I kind of worry about where they're going to find size you know I would be looking at the buyout market seeing what you can get there maybe at Thaddeus Young and Maryland's Noel something like that just to kind of bring some more size to this Blazers team but that's probably the biggest thing um that, that I just don't know how they how they address that you know with the trade deadline being over now so that's that's the big thing for me I mean if you just look at the talent, the Blazers kind of got hosed, didn't they? I mean, you can see where people are going, <laughs> this is not great. I mean, uh, so Cam Reddish is playing 22 minutes per game. He was for New York, but he only played in 20 games. Thibault is playing, what, 12? Yeah, 12 minutes per game. Uh, Knox is playing 14. So... Really, hardly any of these players play more than Peyton did, and Peyton barely played, right? And Peyton is a proven veteran with skill set, and by the way, three-point shot, efficient scoring, and a great defender. Now, Thibel might be a great defender. We'll talk about that in a minute. But literally, none of these players are starters, right? And none of them are proven contributors. Uh, a lot of them have been abandoned by their own teams, this is not exactly a murderer's row of acquisitions here. Yeah, like I said earlier, I think it's just a, a situation where the Blazers kind of pick potential over production. But I think it should tell you something that a lot of these players, 
couldn't get minutes on on 20 win teams and whatnot. Like Kevin Knox, you know, with all due respect to Kevin Knox, he's a a, a good athlete and he can play, but he didn't get minutes on the on the on the Pistons, the Knicks when they weren't you know doing good. So to kind of bank on that now is is is, is kind of tough. Uh, I'm feeling pretty bullish about Cam Reddish. You know, like I said, he, he's a guy that he's younger than some of the players that were selected this past this past draft. And Damian Lillard kind of spoke positively of him, but right now it's a situation where you, you're kind of trading question you're trading for question marks. You're not sure what you're going to get, so it's, it's it's really tough to get excited about it at this point in time. And you're just hoping that you're you're wrong about it, you know, in the future. So it's going to be tough. Yeah, let's do this. You and I talked about Jared Vanderbilt, and we were happy enough about that, but both of us said that's nowhere near enough, right? It's like, don't get too excited about Jared Vanderbilt. He, is, he would be a good get and a good fit, but he's not the answer or even close to the answer by himself. Are any of these players as exciting of a get as Vanderbilt would have been? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I think Reddish maybe comes close just because he's got some some on-film, you know, where he can, he's showing he can get to the paint. Uh, he's very creative with, the, with, uh, with the, way, the way offense goes and whatnot, so that part of it's good, but I don't think that it addresses the, the, the versatility that the Blazers needed, the size that they needed. So it's going to take some time to get excited about it. Um, and hopefully they just, hopefully they, they, they find a way to, you know, take advantage of their spots when they get in here. So it's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, they collected a couple former lottery picks, right? In Reddish and Knox that hadn't panned out. Uh, they got size. Okay. Most of these people are, are pretty big for their, uh, position i mean especially if you say they're swing forwards or small forwards knox is six seven uh reddish is six eight that's good enough you know neither hart nor Peyton were that size a is a shooting guard but he's six five and that's bigger than six three so okay so they got some height they certainly got athleticism like raw young athleticism they got youth combined with athleticism i'd say josh hart's pretty athletic but he's like in his lane as an athlete and the same with Peyton uh these guys could be hyper athletes some of them you know they're, they're especially Thibault I mean Thibault's pretty good right uh as far as physical ability but they didn't get skill they didn't get production they got no experience they got no track record they got a lot of hopes maybe and not very I mean these are like these are a little bit long shots don't you think Lots of long shots. I mean, I'd, I'd feel a whole lot better if this were the NCAA March Madness tournament in a few weeks, but it's, it's, it's tough to see. But it it fits the Blazers' profile. You know, they they they're a team that likes to go for those you know home run hitters kind of guys. So, um, I think maybe the big positive is that they're joining a team where you know most GMs in the GM survey they say the Blazers have the best leader. So having a guy like that and Damian Lillard, you know, kind of working them on and, and having a players coach, maybe that's what they need. Uh, maybe that's what they need to flourish. Um, it, it's, it's tough right now. And then with Bible, and I think that, you know, you get younger in a lot of these trades too. So that's a positive, but you know, I don't, I don't think that it, it, it changes the short term scope of what this team can do. If anything, it maybe diminishes it a little bit more, but, um, in the long term, I think maybe you can get a little bit excited about it. Yeah. I mean, is it a positive though? It depends on your perspective, right? Because Definitely. the beginning of the year, what was sold is this is our team to make a veteran run. You sold that. Lillard, Simon stepping up, Josh Hart is experienced, Jerry B. Grant is a great get, and Yusuf Nurkic is the steady guy, right? So we've got a well-developed, all our bases covered, veteran starting five that is ready to step up and contend, and now you got Winslow, you got Peyton off the bench, you're, you've got some depth, 
you're ready to go. We know we're a little short, but maybe we can address that in trades. Other than that, we are going to take a shot at it. And as I said in another interview, they kind of did the Grandpa Simpson going in the door meme on this, right? Like, oop, <laughs> hang the hat, nope, right back out. Oh no, youth athleticism, uh, we're still developing. They're they're not contending. They're, they just threw up a big signal that, hey, we're not contending. We're back into developmental land here. Yeah, and a lot of lot of fans around the league are kind of looking at it as sort of a, a laughing stock, you know, just in terms of you're making a lot of trades, but you're not really going anywhere. So they're kind of on the treadmill. Um, and that's that's tough. And just listening, I've been listening to uh, Cam Reddish's like interviews and whatnot. And he's basically talked about like how he's had to adjust to so many different coaches and so many different schemes and whatnot. Now he's got to do it all over again. So it's going to be a, a new situation here. And that that second unit looks really young, looks really raw. So I'm, I'm I'm worried about that. They've had some some good moments as of late, but adding more use to that, adding more inexperience to that, it's going to be tough to see how they kind of sustain that and keep it uh, keep it consistent going forward. Well, and Chauncey Billups, too, right? Because wasn't Anthony Simons, and I forget, maybe someone else going, you know what? Sometimes it's nice just to play and to not have to remember all these schemes. I'm not sure that Cam Reddish and Kevin Knox are going to respond real well to remembering all your complex plays. Absolutely. <laughs> it, 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 I'm going to take some time to see how I feel about this, but it, it's, 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 it's a big question mark at this point in time. Definitely a question mark. So talk to me about Thibel. So he's a shooting guard. I wish he was a forward. I mean, if he were power forward or your small forward, we could have a discussion, right? But here's the thing. A lot of people are pointing out that he is a fantastic defender, like not just good, but elite, uh, that he could be in contention for an NBA all defensive team if he got enough minutes. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, I think that is his calling card, right? That's why he's here. He defends. But I'm looking at him playing 25.5 minutes per game last season down to 12.1 this season. And it's not like Philly wasn't playing him, but they weren't playing him much. Uh, I'm looking at a 33% three-point rate, you know, or conversion rate. And even 43% from the field is only average. So he's he's not a good three-point shooter for a guard. He's not a scorer and never has been. I mean, the Blazers have thrown defensive specialists in their lineup before, and it doesn't fix it. And at off guard, like, I, I, seriously, you're going to have a deficit at off guard. And by the way, you don't have scores at small forward now either. I don't know. Do you think, how do you think this balances out? Are you excited about Thibel? Um, I, excited in some ways, excited, not excited in other ways. Um, I, I look at it, I'm, I'm sort of interested to see if it's going to mug up the offensive ecosystem for the Blazers. Just because what we've seen with Hart, you know, they, they were able to kind of uh, clog the lane a little bit and make it difficult to get driving lanes and whatnot. So uh, with, with Thibault, I think it's going to be something similar. But I think it's going to be a little bit different uh, just in terms of how we looked at a player like Josh Hart. We, we talked a lot about him getting eight to ten shot attempts and whatnot and getting him involved uh, with Thibault. He's been in the league for four years. He's only taken double-digit field goals twice in his entire career. So that part of it, I think it's going to open up more shots for, for, uh, for Simons and, and Grant Lillard and those guys. But, uh, just the, just the redundancy that it brings with the defense or with the offense, I think it's going to be tough to kind of deal with. Um, so that's, that's something to look at. He's a deflection machine. He's an A-plus defender, but sort of redundant. We've seen this before. We've seen this situation play out and it hasn't always worked out great. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of, how that kind of plays out. 
I mean, how does Stiebel compare as a fit in Portland with Gary Payton, just fit-wise? It'd be pretty similar. I think both guys kind of had a similar profile, just being very competitive, having that defensive fire. And, and the big difference, I think, is that we've seen Payton, he was able to hit the three a little bit, especially from those corners. Uh, with Thibault, ironically enough, he actually shoots a higher percentage than Hart did, and he takes more shots, you know, per 36. But at the same time, like, it, it, it's not something that defenses are going to fear. You know, if they got Lillard and, and Thibault and those guys out there, they're going to be shading towards Lillard for sure. They're going to be sending more defensive attention his way. So I was going to have to graduate really quickly in that regard. But uh, defensively, I think you, you you take that as a as a big plus for sure. Yeah, so – Peyton was actually shooting over 50% on threes. He didn't take a lot of them, but the shots he took, every shot he took, he he hit, basically, okay, which was a huge asset. There's a reason you notice Josh Hart's hitch in his three-pointer this year, right? And it, part of that is Hart. I get it. But if the Blazers could avoid that by not giving him three-point shots, they would have. He was taking those shots even though he was missing them because he had to, because there was no other option. That's, they're not going to be able to conceal Thibel any better, right? In fact, it'll probably get worse because teams at least knew that Hart had a track record of hitting these shots and was a legitimate offensive player. I think they're going to look at Thibel and go, yeah, you know what? Have at it. It's going to be like Alfaruk Aminu turned up. And again, this is not just a forward. This is a shooting guard. How do the Blazers l- use their shooting guards? Anthony Simons. Even Peyton, when he stepped in, was doing some playmaking. Justice Winslow uh, kind of played a default shooting guard for a while. Uh, the Blazers need their shooting guard to make plays and to hit shots, to take the pressure off of the point guard. A, when Damian Lillard's in there, so he's got not got three defenders draped over him, but B, when he's not, because they do not have a backup point guard. So what's going to happen now? Uh, how's Steibel going to get his minutes and fit in without working the offense, the only thing I can think of is your defense has got to be so good that you transition immediately into offense and you're either getting fast break points or you are consistently getting up shots before the opposing defense gets down there when Thibault's in there. That's the the only way I really see this working. Yeah, that's well said. I think it's got to be defense to offense right away. Um, And that's part of his identity. You know, he's, he's one of the league's best guys when it comes to deflections and uh, you know, we'll be able to see that kind of translate into transition opportunities, you know, if things go right. And I think one big thing is that it's going to kind of allow Jeremy Grant to transition into guarding more forwards and whatnot. So uh, keeping Thibel on the, on the perimeter with those guys. So there are some positives that maybe you see if you if you look at just a silver lining, you're very optimistic about it. Um, and he's younger, like we said, but there's just so many different drawbacks to the positives that it's kind of hard to decide how you want to feel about it. And that kind of just got to wait and see how it goes with that. Yeah, I mean, I think overall the just the initial impression that they're I don't want to say they've given up, that's too harsh. But they've they know that they're not going to make it this year. And they know that if they're going to make it some of these players need will need to get some minutes. We'll need to fill in positions next year. So they're they're going to develop they're going to develop their players. They're going to run out an entertaining starting lineup still, play hard, try to win. But this this season, this season's done, right? Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I hate to say that, but I definitely don't see them uh, cracking that, that, that championship 
uh, group this this season. So I kind of wonder how Damon Lillard feels. He's saying all the right things in the press conferences and whatnot, but just in terms of you know the actual roster, you know I don't think he's I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I kind of wonder how he feels about that. Yeah, I mean, look, Dame either has to be on board with this or rolling his eyes, right? Like at this point, this cannot be news, and I would have I would think that the team let him know kind of the direction that was happening. He's he's either got to be annoyed or he's just got to be, yeah, yeah, this is like like the dad driving on a 2,000-mile family road trip and it's only mile 600. And you're going, yeah, this sucks, and I know, and, you know, road stop restrooms and and, you know, crappy diners and, and you know what? Okay. And there's 1400 fricking miles to go kids. So let's just suck it up and make it through, roll down the window and drown out the noise with the radio. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rough because, you know, we, we thought that this would be the year that he had all of the, the players that he kind of needed. Um, and at the start, it looked like it was going to be that, but as of late, it's, it's, it's sort of stalled a bit. Just wonder how patient he's going to be. You know, they got a lot of assets now. Uh, they were, 44 second round picks traded out during this trade deadline and the Blazers got a lot of them. So you're hoping that, hoping that they're able to turn that into something and they've got some, some cap space now. So in the long term, maybe he's, maybe he's thinking about that, but you know, it's kind of tough to get excited about it at this point in time though. I can't imagine Lillard getting excited about draft picks, but yeah. let, let's go there though. So they got like, you know, aggregate plus four second rounders and that first rounder from the Knicks, which if the Knicks, don't make the playoffs will become four second rounders right there. So they either got eight second rounders or a mid range first rounder and four second rounders. Do you think that that take balances out the talent disparity? Oh, uh, I think it will eventually, but not this year. Definitely not this year. Blazers, I think at the trade deadline, definitely sacrifice talent, you know, for a, for, uh, for youth in this, this situation here though. Um, but you no, know, going forward, I think maybe you can see that being the case. And I think with being a small market franchise, those those draft picks can sort of hold more value. You know what I'm saying? Because you're not going to be able to recruit the best free agents and whatnot. So if you can see a guy in the second round or the late first round that can change the roster, I think maybe you go that route. But I'm not I'm not extremely <laughs> extremely excited about that that prospect. I'd rather have the players in the in the picks for sure. Yeah. So if they use them then we've just got at least a partial answer to the whole question of this timeline divide that we keep talking about, about Damian Lillard, what used to be Gary Payton, maybe Yusuf Nurkic, you know, on one side of that, the 30 plus club, and then the radical 26 and under youth, right? If they plan to use all those draft picks, they've just answered the question about which way they are going, right? Because you're bringing in more young players. That's who you draft. So, that could be part of it. But the other part of it is flexibility in trades in the summer. And this is the out, right? Now, we're not sure this is going to work any better in the summer than it did at the deadline. But as we talked about ad nauseum on the way up to the deadline, their problem was they just didn't have free assets. Their Chicago pick was owed and or tied up for the next few years. So they didn't have multiple first rounders. Uh, they didn't have any extra picks. They had already traded away. In fact, they were minus one on first round picks. They didn't have any pluses uh, to, to give away. They had some second round picks. And frankly, I think it's been shown that the value of those right now in trade is pretty limited. But 
you know, at least they got some more of those. What they really will have, though, the difference is this summer, they will have knowledge, right? Here's the knowledge we have. We have, hopefully, this first-round pick from New York. We know exactly whether our Chicago pick conveyed or not. And by the way, if we want to remove protections on it, now we're a whole year away from another draft, not three months away. And there's no Victor Wembanyama waiting there, like, in case we get screwed, okay? Like, there's no chance of losing the generational talent of this decade uh, if we convey that pick and it's a lottery pick. So I think that they're going to have more options in the summer than they did right now because they couldn't convey that Chicago pick safely and they had no extra assets. I think that's well said. Um, I, I, I think it just to put it in, to put it in perspective. It's kind of like a treadmill. You just kind of, you run, no matter if you're running fast or slow, you're still running in place and they're sort of just kicking the can down the road and just seeing how it goes at this point in time. Um, so I think the big, the big positive is that you're going to see more minutes from the guys like Shaden Sharp and, and that's your little nail. So, We'll get more knowledge on those guys too. Uh, we'll get a chance to see if if Satan Sharp is is if he has if he's reached that spark potential that we maybe think that he's going to see. So you know that, that that those could be some things to watch. You know as we close out the end of this season, so it'd be interesting to see. So the difference I see here is: had you asked me at the beginning of the year which way are the Blazers going toward contention or a rebuild with this split timeline, I would have said I'm. 70, 75% sure they're going toward contention. I know we've got that other 20, 25% because they've got Anthony Simon, Shaden Sharp, you know, a lot of young players, but that's a lot of gambling. And I, I think the contention wins out. Seeing this trade deadline, looking forward to summer, I think I've inverted those percentages. This, this is going to be the requiem on, on this trade deadline. I'm about 70, 75% sure that they are now heading into a youth movement. And that even if they try to reverse this in the summer, unless they get really astonishingly lucky, they're not going to. Look, even their backup plans. I mean, James Wiseman was mentioned, which is great. But you know what? He's the biggest project of them all. OK, uh, Bay was young. There's there's other, you know, nowhere were the Blazers mentioned with. I mean, they were casually linked with OG Ananobi, but even he's young, right? I mean, there's nowhere where the Blazers mentioned with any veteran who was going to turn around this franchise. I don't think that's going to happen in the summer either. I think they're going to go up and take another swing, but I don't think they have a heavy enough bat. And I think really we're looking now at, okay, where's the hope of this franchise? It's really in developing. And it's developing around Sharp and Simons and hoping Dame can mentor them. And if there's going to be a resurrection, it's not going to be next year. It's going to be three years from now. I think at some point you just hope that it leads to a different result. Because I remember last year they were they were hesitant about using the rebuild word. They wanted to use retool and they were trying to just tread water. And it, it just feels the same way this year. You know, you just wonder if, if, if the, the 500, the sub 500 play is ever going to stop. Um, and it, it, it's tough to say, you know, with, with so many different moving parts and, and guys that are, are young, guys that are experienced. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of with you on that, that I think that they're leaning more towards the, I don't want to call it the rebuild, the retool, uh, as opposed to contention. I'm not sure how they get there. You know, I, I, I've got to look at the, the free agents for next year, but it's it's tough to kind of see what the vision is at this point in time. And, you know, you just hope that those, those ideas kind of materialize over the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to name you the five young players, three we got, two we had. 
I don't think I'm missing anybody too much. So we have Nasir Little, Shaden Sharp, Matisse Thibel, Cam Reddish, Kevin Knox. Order those in terms of who you're most excited about, who you really think is going to grow into a player or a transformational player. Where where it's the hope from one to five. Again, that's Reddish, Knox, and Thibel, the three we just got, plus Little and Sharp, the two that we had. I think the two that we have, you got to start off at the top. I'm going with Sharp one and Little two, just in terms of the excitement. Then I think you go, I'm going to go Reddish three. I think Reddish is, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Reddish over Thibel here. Uh, Thibel's more proven at this point in time, but I think Reddish's ceiling is, is just a, a little bit higher. So I'll go, no, I'll put Knox at the bottom. I think all five are going to have a chance to kind of prove themselves, whether it's in, in garbage time or whether it's, you know, actual meaningful minutes. And, and we've seen a little bit of that already. Uh, but I think the two that really make me the most excited are the three that make me the most excited would be um, Sharp, Little, and definitely Reddish. Those are the three. How many of those would you say are bankable? Like, okay, if you had to place a significant bet that these guys are going to make it, do you bet on any of them, all three of them? Who do you bet on? Uh, I'm going to go with – I'll probably go with the two we have at, at, at this point in time because we've seen it. You know, so we've actually got a chance to analyze it, talk about it. Um, Little's progression this year has been has been big. You know, the three-point shot has sort of slipped up a little bit as of late, but he's he's definitely coming along on his own. Uh, same with Sharp. He's had some, some pretty good moments as of late. So those would be the two. I think with the other three, you're kind of looking at there's a reason why they're traded at this, at this age right now. You know what I'm saying? They've had chances where they've been at, particularly with Knox. Um, but I don't want to give up on any of those five, but I think that the two we have are the, are the, the two most sure things of the three. So, I mean, of the other five. So I'll go with that. And that's a great, like, you know, epitaph to put on this trade deadline. <laughs> like mentioned zero of the players that we got and hope that we can do something with the draft pick. All right, let's let's move on to other. If you guys uh, who are listening have more questions about the trade deadline or the summer ahead, you know, write those in blazersub at gmail.com and we'll we'll try to answer them. Just tell, tell us for the, they're for the podcast. But let's get back into more normal land. Uh, the Blazers are two and two since we last talked. They beat the Washington Wizards, lost to the Chicago Bulls, got hammered by the Milwaukee Bucks, and pulled one out uh, against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, what overall, if anything, struck you from those games? What impressions did the last le- week leave on you? Or or did the trade deadline just wipe it all out? Uh, <laughs> it, it wiped a lot of it out, but uh, I think the big thing, we said last week on this podcast that the Blazers were going to, I remember saying this, the Blazers are going to win the game that they had no business winning, and they were going to lose the game they had no business losing. And just this week, they had a game where they committed 21 turnovers and won. They had a game where they trailed by 20 and won. They had another game where they led by 17 and lost. So it's, it's been a it's been a really odd week, um, and nothing ever seems to come normal with the Blazers. I think that's the, the biggest takeaway is that they just, I don't know. It's just really, really odd games all throughout this this entire uh, entire sequence, for sure. Well, I got two words for you, Trendon Watford. I mean, Watford, I like that. Yeah, I mean, okay. So we've been bemoaning the loss of Justice Winslow, right? And obviously, Justice is a better defender, but kind of playmaking and a little bit of offense and smart play, some rebounding, just basically hustling and giving you what you need. That's what Winslow was doing. Watford finally made the the court, 
And look what he's doing. Now, he's not initiating plays up top like Winslow was. But down inside, when he gets the ball, he's making some passes. He's converting shots. And he's hustling. And you're going like, oh, Trendon Wofford, I remember him. Yeah, he was good. Like, why, why isn't he playing more? So I think that's, this has really been his week. And a shout out to him that, that this was great uh, to, to see that resurgence. Uh, Drew Eubanks, too. Okay, so Nurkic is out. Drew's starting. We all know the flaws with that. But also, the, the energy, some swagger. I mean, some slam dunks, a little bit of strutting, a little bit of picking up his teammates. I, I like, you know, is this going to save the franchise? No. But if, do you want some warm fuzzies? Watford and Eubanks are giving it to you this week. Yeah, they're, they're basically doing their job. They're holding it off to the cavalry comes back. When Nurkic gets back, they have a little bit more versatility there, more flexibility there. So um, particularly Watford, I, I love the way he plays, just the hustle that he brings. Um, and, and like you said, at the top, he's doing some things. He, he's got that nice little in and out dribble, Florida game in the in the in the paint. So um, I've always thought he was capable of this, even last year. Uh, I think you obviously you kind of have to temper expectations for a season like that, where you know they're playing guys that aren't going to be in the league next year. But he's proven that he can transition himself into different situations, and and even defensively, you know, they talked about how he's able to help them switch on defense, kind of switch on those pin downs with Clay. So it's um. You see it. You see the energy there. He's a guy that he's proven that he's worth the country that he signed last year. So definitely want to see him continue to improve upon that. So, And, and this is what the Blazers are hoping, right, with these new acquisitions. Because if you look at Thibel and Reddish and Knox, in theory, they should be able to switch on defense, right? And this is part of Portland's problems. They get stuck, okay? So I, I it feels like the Blazers are moving toward trying to have that kind of lineup where – all five people, or at least four or five people, can defend anywhere. And it takes some of the defensive pressure off, right? Because it doesn't matter who's on who's on first and what's on second or whatever, that everywhere on the floor you can go and you have a decent chance of stopping somebody. Give or take, you know, the fastest point guard in the league or give or take the tallest center in the league, anything in between those you can take. So Watford... In some senses, Jabari Walker, too. Uh, even Eubanks, because he's a little, he's pretty mobile for a center. I mean, he's not your big bruising center. He's So it feels like they're favoring that kind of player and looking to compensate for their lack of defense by trying to build up an increase in mobility and athleticism. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they play that out. Um, I think they're still undersized. And you look at the roster, they're, they're still aren't many guys over 6'10", so if you run into a situation where, like the Wizards game, for example, where they've got Gafford in there, Porzingis, Kuzma, you'll see problems with that. So they're going to be different matchups that they can't exploit. Um, but these, like, like we always say, they're not going to they're not going to make losing plays. You know, they're going to hold their own, they're going to fight, but sometimes it's just tough. And I think the Bucs game is a good example of that, too. Getting out-rebounded, what was it, 55 to 28? Like, I don't know what's worse, getting 28 rebounds or almost getting doubled, but uh, you're going to see problems with that, um, but there are going to be nights where you know where they are able to, they're able to uh, keep it going and, and turn it into a positive. That is genius, actually, because you've just pointed it out, and this is endemic of like everything the Blazers do. This is this is their problem. So you build that lineup of five switchable guys, right? So your defense does get better. You force the other team to miss the shot, but now what? Because you can't get a rebound, right? 
Uh, you get Matisse Thibel. Oh, yeah, your defense is better. But now what? You you can't shoot, right? Like your offense goes bonk. The Blazers seem to always be playing whack-a-mole, right? Oh, we get this problem. Okay, we solved this problem. Now here comes the other problem that we caused. Uh, oh, gosh, here's this is a terrible analogy. But I work with a lot of people, you know, who, who are aging, and your health starts to go, right? And you start taking medication to address a problem. And then the medication that you take in itself creates another problem. And you got to take another pill and you got to take another one and another one. And pretty soon, A, you're taking these Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday things, like crates of pills every day. I don't see how they swallow them. I've literally seen people take fists of medication and swallow them dry. And I'm going like, wow, how do you do that? But also it doesn't end up, you always end up with another problem on the other side of it, right? There ain't enough pills in the world. Teams that win keep the moles down, right? Or at least their moles are subdued and limited. To We know we have these two. We've compensated for them. Portland's never gotten there. At best, they've gotten specialists or one or two-dimensional players who then solve a problem but create one in their wake. And this is the strategy continues. They better hope Shaden Sharp can defend. There's one thing. That would go a long way, right? They better hope Nasir Little gets a shot. They better hope that, sorry, that they can trade Yusuf Nurkic for somebody who's more mobile. By the way, how disappointed are you that they didn't trade Nurk? Oh, man. I, I tell you what, seeing them struggle on the glass made me feel a little bit better about it. But I just, like I said, in the long term, if we were going to go completely long term and be thinking about that, that would have been the move to make. Um, and it kind of leads me to believe that there wasn't as big of a, a market you know, for his services that you know, maybe we thought that there would be. Um, but maybe he's got to ride it out one more year, see how it works out. But I look at the Blazers almost like a like a leaky roof. You know what I'm saying? You try to put some tape on it, you try to cover it up, and it just just doesn't fix. You know, you just continue to try, just try it with what you have. So I would have liked to see them move him just because it would have given them more athleticism if you're going to go that route, you know, go all in on it. But there, I think there are worse problems to have than having a guy like him in there, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little worried about, I, I don't think Nurk is long for this team. I, I just don't. I think partially from the team's perspective, but this is like the fourth time this has happened to Nurkic now, that he's fallen out of favor and trying to cycle back. And at a certain point, I think it's just going to be like, this is not a happy marriage. But look at the centers who went. I mean, Jakob Poedl from San Antonio, right? Uh, Mo Bamba. Got traded. Uh, Thomas, uh, gosh, Lakers, uh, forget his last name. Anyway, their non-AD center got traded. Uh, there, there are a few centers that went, and I think you're right that the the market like just isn't real strong right now for a, a jack-of-all-trades, average-to-high-average center, you know? But the fact that Nurkic is so critical to Portland shows how important it is for them to have at least an average to above average center. You know what I mean? Like they still need a center. Do they need Nurk is the question. More important question is, could just about any average to above average center fill that Nurkic role? Is there anything particular about Nurkic that they need? Or could they substitute for Nurk with a decent center and then, you know, say goodbye to this, uh, this continuing issue 
I think you, you probably could have swapped out Nurkic for a, a, a different guy. It maybe would have been cheaper, maybe more athletic, maybe a little younger. Um, but I think those guys are kind of hard to find. Like you look at you look at Nurkic's his numbers this year and the things that he, he does a lot of. He's a low post player, but his efficiency is is one of the lowest among the NBA. So that part of it's tough. But the things that he does bring, you know, the, the pocket passing and the, the chemistry that he brings with Lillard, that'd be hard to that that would be difficult to try to you know bring to a team within one year. So. Uh, I think there are positives and negatives to it. And, you know, the Blazers, we've seen them before in the playoffs kind of kind of stagger out and, and blow big leads. So having a low post presence like that, a guy that can, can you know, take possessions and, and, and put it into his own hands, I think it would be kind of crucial. But I think I'm with you on that. If you could have gotten something different, something younger, they would take that chance. But I don't know what the, I don't know what the offers were for that. So it's kind of tough to say. Yeah. Well, and some of these centers that we were talking about could be available this summer in trade as well, or some people might hit the, uh, you know, mid-level exception market. Basically, that you can probably get a center for your mid-level. In fact, I know you can because mid-levels are huge nowadays. So you might be able to get one with your mid-level and one with another exception that actually kind of fill in. Or, or if you like Drew Eubanks, you keep him, obviously. But yeah, I, I, I again, I'm not, I don't hate Nurk. I think he's a serviceable center. I think there's some things he does really well. I just think that Nurkic and Portland after this are just not, they've got a few months more together and I bet that they try to move him pretty heavily in the summer. But you're exactly right. That opens up a problem that they better solve. Otherwise that becomes the next iteration of whack-a-mole and uh, they're just, yeah. Oh boy. Still playing. Okay. So, uh, Anything? I mean, I thought they played. I thought that Golden State game was pretty cool. I mean, they did. They they played clutch at the end. Golden State fell apart, but you know they were getting ripped apart by Clay Thompson, which always happens, right? And people are going, Steph Curry's out. Yay! I'm going like, have you not watched the Blazers play Golden State ever? Because as soon as Curry goes down, Clay Thompson scores a hundred, right? So they weathered that storm. And Jordan Poole, oh my god. Like, he's awesome. Like, he is. He is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that dude. Oh boy. Well, and it, weird. The mirror between Golden State and Portland right now. Two timelines, right? Uh, Hall of Fame point guard, and what else do you put around him? Uh, kind of a three guard problem now because you got uh, Simons and, and Sharp and Lillard, and you got Poole and Thompson and Curry. There's there's just so many parallels. Uh, and guess what? Golden State's not doing real well either. So, I mean, that's fascinating. But anyway, I love the fourth quarter in that game. I thought the Blazers really bore down on defense, and I thought that they they just played well. And that and the Memphis game, where they kind of did the same thing at the end, it's like, oh, this is what it should be. This is what should be happening all the time. Yeah, that's well said. I think that's the type of game that we would have seen the Blazers kind of lose, you know, a couple of weeks ago. They, they've they've sort of tightened it up in the four quarters and whatnot. Um, and we we still see them make those similar mistakes, but it's definitely a sign in the right direction. I think a blue moon was out in that game for them. Uh, just be, looking at the free throw numbers, thirty two to ten. Like they they, we talk a lot about the referees not really giving them the benefit of the doubt, but in that game they definitely looked out for them in that one. Um, and for them to commit twenty one turnovers and still win the game was 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 awesome. And I like Damian Lillard's aggressiveness, you know, from start to finish. Uh, the, the three offensive rebounds, being on the glass throughout that game, and just being aggressive to start. It was a nice touch to one of his more all-around games this season. So 
uh, it was a, a, a very inspiring win. And for them to come out of that with a, was it 500 or something like right above that? I think you definitely can, you can live with that you know, at this point in time. Yeah. I had triple double from Dave. So yeah. yeah, I mean, like as much as you want to go, ah, this team should just pack it in. You can't, right? I mean, I, there's Dame and then there's <laughs> efforts like that. And there's some good play and you're going like, I Every time it's like they're on a tightrope. Every time you lean one way, they start leaning the other, and somehow we we keep walking it. So, two critical questions as we close, and then we'll get to the slate of of games ahead. One, it's being asked, who starts at small forward now? I mean, I mean, we know probably who's going to start tonight. Uh, it's probably going to be Nasir Little against Oklahoma City, and in the real short term. But as the season plays out, who's who's your three? I think you give Nisha a little of the green light, you know, just for now, uh, just because of, you know, the fam- familiarity that he has with this offense. Um, and he, he's shown he can play with Lillard and Simons and those guys. So I think you give him the green light. And then as you see, as the, as you see how Fireball and those guys kind of incorporate themselves in, then maybe you can kind of tinker with it and adjust it with it a little bit. But I will go a little tonight. And if you notice that the second unit is starting to struggle a little bit more, then maybe you bring a little back on to the second unit. But, it's going to be a big opportunity for Sharp and those guys to kind of show off in that second unit. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm I'm going to call it that they're going to start Shaden Sharp at small forward before the season is over. Ooh, that's now I want to see that. I hope you're right on that. I'd love to see that. That'd be fun because yeah. you're going to have to see it eventually. So if if especially if Little stumbles, I bet Sharp occupies that spot next. Uh, okay. Now the big question, the stomach wrenching one. At what point do the Blazers just call it? Is there any point? Now, I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but the lineup was a lot different. Now that you've seen these acquisitions, is there a point where the Blazers say, you know what? We're making the lottery. We're, we're you know, it's, we, we can't make enough headway. And we know that we're probably not going to get the number one pick, but there's always a chance. And, you know, at why, why, why not go for the the ping pong balls and a better pick? I think we get to that point when um when when Damian Lillard's you know Herculean efforts don't lead to wins as often as they do. I think if, when you get to that point where he's doing that and they're just losing games still, I think maybe then you pack it in. And that that Bulls game that they had earlier this week was one that kind of kind of stuck with me because I was thinking at halftime I'm like, there's no player that I've seen make these 25, 30 point first halves look as easy as he does. But I also haven't seen a player that gets unrewarded with 40-point losses as much as he does. And he's number one in both of those categories this year. So when you see a situation like that where he's doing what he's doing and they're still running out of gas in the end and, and can't get wins against teams that they should beat, then I think that's when you get to that point where they they sort of start to evaluate, you know, the long term and saving his body. And, and, and he's proven everything he needs to prove this year in terms of getting back into shape and whatnot. So I think you go into next year with a little bit of a better viewpoint and, and you take it like that. But until that moment, you know, I think you, you kind of ride with it a little bit more. So, at some point, it might make sense from a team perspective, too, not just a Dame perspective. Because, look, you got to take the cover off of Simons and Sharp, right? And I don't mean, I mean, Dame is Dame. Damian Lillard's the most valuable asset this team has, maybe the most valuable asset the franchise has ever had. But also, you know, when he's out there scoring 40 and 50, you know Anthony Simons isn't. Okay. Uh, and you know Shaden Sharp is not getting developmental time. 
those properly are not the focus right now, but at some point it might become more valuable in the long run for Simons to be free and sharp to have unlimited opportunities to see what they can be instead of Dame carrying out his strings of, you know, 40 point games at 32 years old. Uh, where that happens. I mean, it could happen as soon as the all-star break. I mean, honestly, if Dame comes back not really motivated, I'm not saying personally, he's always going to be personally motivated, but if he came back, used that break to go, you know what? We're not going to win a title. Why am I busting my ass for, you know, 38 minutes per game uh, in order to, to get us wins? Why am I, by the way, why am I driving the lane again and again and again to balance out this scoring to, to give my team a chance, getting hit and knocked to the ground? Why? I, if Dame came back and said that, A, who would fault them, him rather, and B, wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. That could happen. I don't think it will. But like sometime beginning of March, also, like just as soon as it becomes evident, don't you think that they should pull the plug? Um, I, I definitely can see the case for that. I think this day being the competitor that he is, it'd be hard for him to kind of admit that um, verb, like publicly or privately. Um, so that's kind of that's why I'm kind of sitting there with that. He did kind of sound social media and talking a little bit about the pressure and stuff like that. So uh, it, it can it can take a toll on you year after year after year like that. He, he's playing 38 minutes for 38 win seasons and whatnot. So that's, it's just, it's, it's tough. Um, but knowing him, I think he wants to try to give everything that he has to this, this organization, you no know, win, lose or draw. So just based on what I've, what I've seen from him, I think it's kind of hard to go against that part of it and thinking that it's going to be something different going forward. So that's, I don't know. It's tough to say. And here's the other thing in the bizarro land of blazers right now, it would probably be better to, make the first round of the playoffs lose and convey that pick to Chicago as like the 17th pick than it would be to keep the 14th pick, right? I mean, it's only two picks different. And uh, I know when, when you get it and when you don't, but they got to pay Chicago sometime. If they convey it, all their future draft picks are free for summer. If they don't, then I guess you would lift the protection if you need to use those picks. But hey, What's the re most recent evidence? If they if it doesn't convey, the most recent evidence is you're not a playoff team and you're lifting the pick when you're not a playoff team. That's got to be scary. So, like, it's always timing with the Blazers, right? Like, there are two roads and it's impossible to pick one. And when you do pick one, it's the right road at the wrong time. It's the right move two years late. Or it's the the wrong injury at exactly the right time. <laughs> Portland still hasn't taken control of their own destiny. I'm not sure that they did at the trade deadline. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to this year. We're just all wandering around in circles going, okay, where's the next off-ramp, and let's see if we can take it. Yeah, that, that's life as a, a Portland Trailblazers player. Life as a Portland Trailblazers supporter is just kind of how it's been since, what, like 1978? <laughs> yeah. Just question mark after question mark, so. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're all the sure. kids in the back of the station wagon, right? On vacation, and we're hungry as heck. And dad's driving, and we're going like, I hope we stop soon. When's the next exit? And it's like, oh, that's just a crap restaurant there. We're not stopping there. Ah, we're starving. <laughs> just praying for a 
Denny's or something that we can uh, stop and get a bacon cheeseburger at. All right. Anything else we missed? Oh, yeah. Coming up ahead uh, real quickly. uh, Oklahoma City tonight, as we record, by the time you hear this, folks, that game will be done. Uh, Oklahoma City at home. The Los Angeles Lakers at home on Monday. Washington Wizards at home on Tuesday. And then traveling to Sacramento. No, no. That's after the All-Star break. So we got three games before the All-Star breaks. Uh, all at home, Oklahoma City, Lakers, and Wizards. Uh, what do you got? I'm gonna go uh, two and one here. I was I was going to subscribe to the idea of them getting some payback on the Thunder uh, from earlier this year and the Lakers from earlier this year too. But that two games back to back with the Lakers and the Wizards sort of concerns me a little bit coming into the All Star break too. So they're gonna be a little bit fatigued, and we just saw how that worked out with Chicago. So I'm gonna go two and one and play it safe. I'll say they win tonight win against the Lakers and, and lose to the Wizards. You know, it's, 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 the Wizards showed you what they can do when they play the Blazers. That first half, they absolutely obliterated them. So th- there's no easy win on this schedule. So I'll go 2-1 and one on that. I'll call it a day. Just reflecting, that was one of the scariest halves of basketball that I've seen this year. That first half against the It's like, oh, my gosh, because I expect this from Toronto, right? And eventually it came from Milwaukee, too. That's no surprise. But the Wizards were going big ball against Portland and just housing them. I'm going like, oh, man, that, that is not good. That's, that's systemic weakness. That's lack of youth. That's all that stuff. Which, hey, maybe the trade deadline addressed some of those things. Yeah, but I, I, that they came back and won that was a credit. But it also didn't – it kind of shows you a little bit who Portland is, right? Absolutely. And it shows that, you know, if they don't have those hero ball performances, sometimes it's hard to win those games. And if it weren't for Anthony Simons in that that second half, we've talked about it before. He's a great ice and vein scorer. When he gets one or two, plenty gets going. He's got three 20-point quarters this season. And the only players with more are Kyrie Irving and, and Luka Doncic. So it's it's they must have had Rocky playing in the locker room or something because they came out came out of the gates, you know, on fire. But it's just hard to win games having to have to play the superhero ball every night, whether it's Simons or Lillard. And, you know, you saw it there. Not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Simons went Bradley Beal, and that's basically yeah. where they went. And Bradley Beal didn't. Okay. So two and one sounds reasonable. I don't usually like to agree with you, but I think that's exactly where it will be. We will see when we get back. We will be at the All-Star break and have a chance to reflect on the entire season. Uh, We'll also talk about All-Star stuff. There was some stuff that came by today we could talk about. We'll talk about that next week. Why is Damian Lillard not starting? Is John Morant that good? Uh, Did the the commissioner make the right replacement moves? Anyway, we've gone on long with the trade deadline, so we'll cut it here. For Marlo Ferguson, Jr., I'm Dave Deckard, and we will see you guys next week.